Welcome to the Puberty Prof Podcast, where information and tools are shared to help you have conversations about puberty and other growing up topics. Here is your host, Lori Reichel, the Puberty Prof, a nationally recognized health educator, author of the award-winning book, Common Questions Children Ask About Puberty, and creator of the Talk Puberty app. And welcome to the Puberty Prof Podcast. I'm your host, Lori Reichel, the Puberty Prof. As I mentioned in previous episodes, I'm a school health educator. I'm a teacher who now trains future health teachers. And ever since I started teaching health education, I knew the importance of talking about certain safety topics, including those dealing with interpersonal violence in children. Actually, in my first position, in which I worked with Chris Homer, who was on the podcast episode, two of them about changes most boys experience. When I worked with him in our program, it was a grant program. I was trained in the beginning awareness, basic education studies program. And it's about primary prevention for substance use. So not only was I trained to teach it, but then I trained others in how to present the program. Part of these lessons talked about inappropriate behavior occurring. And these are concepts that we recommend parents and other caregivers talk with children about in a caring and empowering way. And they're also aligned with specific performance indicators noted in the National Sexuality Education Standards. From K through 12, we approach this topic in a caring and empowering way. To help better explain why we talk about this topic with children and how to do this, I invited Dr. Kelly Palfi to join us. Dr. Palfi is a registered psychologist and author of the book, Men Too, Unspoken Truth About Male Sexual Abuse. And I'm so honored to have you here. I know some people are hesitant about talking about this topic. So I'm looking forward to hearing what you have to say. And note to the audience too, if anything that we're talking about, if you feel triggered in some way that something happened in your past or in somebody else's, please go and talk to one of your trusted adults in your life. And we'll talk about that, what that is within this episode. So again, thank you, Dr. Palfi. Kelly, and would you mind introducing who you are, saying hi to our audience? Yes, good morning, Lori. Thank you. And um, it is an honor to be here. I, and I love what you're doing. So thanks for letting me be a small part of that. As you mentioned, I am a registered psychologist now. Prior to becoming a psychologist, I was a RCMP officer. So that's our equivalent in Canada of your FBI. And so I was working in the behavioral sciences unit where I specialized in sex crimes committed against children internationally. I was in the process of being trained to be a subject matter expert in that area and really became aware of how little I knew about it in regards to males. How I, how this came to, to be was, you know, we would see these exhibits and be forced to look at these exhibits where I witnessed that boys were being sexually abused as well as girls also we had a, you know, some different training seminars where they organized guest speakers to come and talk with us. And one of the people that came and talked with us was a pro hockey player, uh, Sheldon Kennedy. And he talked about his abuse and it just woke me up to the subject. And it was like, I began to see how prevalent it is. That's sorry. That's a little bit about me and how I got involved in doing this work. Thank you again for being here. And I know when I start listening and hearing more about this topic, it does get me emotional because to me, this incident of people being inappropriately touched children 
it bothers me. It's not right. And I know we're trying to do what we can to ensure this stops. Mm -hmm. Certainly, that's why in the United States, we have Aaron's Law, and that states that children are to receive lessons on safe and unsafe touches, as well as identifying trusted people they can go to. And certainly in the health education side with our standards, it's teaching children how do we say that this is happening or even to help a friend or other person in our life. You kind of said a little bit about why you're a specialist in male sexual abuse. Can you tell a little bit more about why perhaps in our in our world, we don't always focus on the male side of things? Yeah, absolutely. And there there are so many reasons. A lot of them come down to like former masculine biases that we've, you know, as a society held. And so that's things like, you know, boys can always protect themselves. Boys aren't supposed to cry. Boys are supposed to be tough. Boys or men are always supposed to want to have sex, right? So all of those things, all of those biases are taught to little boys right from the word go, right? So they wait, they grow up um, having these biases being the way that they're, you know, taught to them as the way they're supposed to behave and the way they're supposed to act and the way they're supposed to think. So when something bad does happen to them, you know, there's a, there's a, there's a level of confusion and there's a level of shame. And then there's, you know, there's this idea that I can't talk about it. Right. So this is, saying like, you know, no one talks about male sexual abuse, least of all the victims themselves. So I was here, I was working in the child sexual exploitation unit, where I am being considered and being trained as the expert. And so I mean, it was just like, I become aware, became aware of how little I knew. And I was the expert. And, you know, my, uh, one of my supervisors was a male. And he said to me at the time, don't worry about the boys. And I didn't even question that decision. And that, that haunts me, right? I mean, it was only not, I don't want to say it was only one case. That that decision haunts me, right? That, you know, we just thought, you know, because the boys look like they're having a good time in these videos or whatever, that they're not victims. And that is not the case. You know, you would never say that of a young girl, right? If you saw a video of a young girl being abused, you would never question whether or not, the, you know, whether or not she was aroused or enjoying it is not a consideration. So, yeah, so that... That kind of thing really just haunted me and it made me want to get more involved. It made me want to make a difference and do kind of like what you're doing to educate people to make a difference. It's interesting that sometimes when something happens in our professional lives or personal lives, it alters where our career path goes. Yes. So I really applaud you that you you wrote this book, Men to Unspoken Truth About Male Sexual Abuse. What do you recommend, Kelly? for parents and other caregivers to do regarding sexual abuse. Absolutely. And, you know, we have to start with prevention, which, which includes like educating our children, right? Like uh, I think we, in the, you know, we've kind of worried about, we don't want to traumatize children. We don't want to scare children. We don't want to offend people. We have to kind of be uh, move beyond that sort of place of fear and educate our kids, right? We need to be talking about, we need to not just be talking about safe and unsafe touch, but we need to teach kids about grooming techniques. We need to teach kids that not all people who seem like they're safe are safe. Because we, we know that it's not stranger danger that's the biggest concern. Not that it's not a concern, but we know that 90% of abuse, more than 90% of abuse happens by someone that the child and the family knows and loves. 
So we need to unfortunately, unfortunately, teach our kids that just because somebody just we need to teach kids to trust their own instincts about safety, right? And uh, we need to teach parents not to force kids to ignore their instincts too. So, you know, like this, give your uncle Johnny a kiss thing. I hate that, right? Kids don't feel comfortable kissing someone they don't know. They shouldn't be forced to do it. So we need to teach kids things like, you know, um, most people in your life are going to be safe. But, you know, if, for example, somebody who you think is safe tries to touch you or, you know, does X, Y, or Z to you, you need to tell mommy or you need to tell the teacher or whoever, right? So we need to teach kids that not everybody who we believe is safe might be safe and what to do about it. That's a start. Can I add in that there's some really great books out there for parents and other caregivers to read with children, even in the health classroom. And I don't know if you've heard of some of these, there's books that are called My Body, What I Say Goes, uh, No Means No. I'm looking them up right now on this website called E2E Publishing. It's Educate to Empower Publishing. And there's even some secrets should never be kept. And that story always puts a tear in my eye because it does refer to a boy who is inappropriately touched by a leader in the community, the king. And he does actually, at first he's hesitant about letting somebody else know, his caregiver, and then he's told it's brave to ask for help. Love it, Laurie. And I'm very grateful to learn about that website. I am going to be adding to that list. Myself and another psychologist are writing a book series called Creating Safer Spaces. And oh, excellent. We're talking, yeah, we're talking about grooming techniques. So, you know, it's it's awkward for parents sometimes. How do I talk about this? Okay, this is wonderful. Like, you know, you can just simply say there's something really important I need to teach you and let's read this book and we're going to talk about it kind of thing. So yeah, so we are creating a three book series. One is about, uh, yeah, a boy being groomed and then sexually abused and then what he does about it. And, you know, it's got a happy ending. He gets a dog and the, and the bad guy goes to jail and then the other one is about a a girl going to therapy and the third one is going to be about human trafficking okay excellent so we're going to add to that series that's wonderful (laughs) okay because the other resource i don't know if you've ever seen consent for kids it's a it's a book but it's also a video clip it's in a child's voice and it talks about what you referred to kelly about being able to have a voice if they don't want to hug an aunt or something like that. And to say, no, I don't want to hug that person right now. And that being respected, because if we start that earlier, as we get older, we feel more empowered to say, no, I don't want you to touch me there in a dating relationship. That's another resource. So, and I'll make sure I put a link to some of these resources in the description for today's podcast. Love it. (laughs) Also, I am going to do a little plug for, I created the, the talk puberty app and there is a section that goes to more advanced types of questions for to talk about with children and it goes in there. So the app was created to help lead conversations about this kind of stuff. Love so it. Check that out. But that's really great what you're saying. And do you have any recommendations for when we talk to children about who a trusted adult is? I would say, you know, trusted adults are someone, you know, this is a tough one too, because Unfortunately, offenders are going to try to come off as trusted adults, right? So, you know, I would say trusted adults are not trying to get you alone and away from the crowd. And, you know, they, although you might be able to have a conversation with them, it's, you know, it's not going to be in their bedroom or 
backseat of their car kind of thing. You know, I, I that that is such a tough question because there is there is no there is no tell on that one. Yeah, because like I say, offenders are going to try to pretend to be that. They're going to do everything humanly possible to be seen as the least likely person that would ever offend. So unfortunately, it can be your teacher, your pastor, your coach, your whoever, right? And mm-hmm. offenders will put those up, themselves in those situations so they can have access to children. So I, get, I think it's going to be somebody that you have a history of safety with. Yeah. I'll add on. You said it er- actually earlier about if your gut's telling you something and sometimes we can get these feelings of this is weird, but the person might be saying words in which it's trying to convince us it's not weird. So if you get those weird feelings and it's not like a happy, weird feeling, but it's like, this doesn't feel good. It doesn't feel happy and healthy. That can also be a sign. And for anybody in the audience, even if this happened to you years ago, if you had an incident like this that you were inappropriately touched or spoken with in some way, you always can reach out to a trusted adult. There's no shame in when it happens. It's we want you to get the support that you that you should. You Everybody has the right to be happy and healthy. And Lori, and- I would just add that that can include your parent as well, unfortunately, right? Like sometimes yeah. parents aren't safe, right? Yeah. You know? I work with adult men who were abused by their own parents when they were young. So yeah, it's unfortunate. It really is. It's really hard to wrap your head around the fact that this actually happens, but it does. Yeah. Well, what do you recommend for schools to do regarding sexual abuse? Well, there's a lot, actually. I mean, what you're doing this, your education program, that's an absolute must. So absolutely. That's a must. And then I would add, like, I think there needs to be, you know, people in the school, such as yourself, trauma informed, right? What are the symptoms of trauma, right? You know, maybe if you got a child falling asleep in class or, you know, dissociating in class or not able to pay attention or, you know, even being the class clown, those kinds of things, don't just automatically, you know, look at it as if it's a behavioral problem. Like we need to be trauma informed. How does trauma manifest, right? So that would be one of the first things. Um, another thing I would say is they need to become aware of what how offenders um, work, right? So the different types of offenders and also their grooming techniques. I think that's huge because, you know, everybody wants to take this attitude. Oh, yes, I know that happens out there, but it's not happening here. It has, you know, and that is not the case. Like, I'm sorry, but the statistics show one out of every six boys is sexually abused before the age of you know, 16, they didn't all go to the same high school. What, what is it? One in three girls. So, I mean, this is, these statistics are high and I, I don't know what it's like in the States, but I know in Canada, our police are tapped out and they're telling me that they are not investigating these to near the extent that they'd like to be able to, you know, these, the incidents, right? So, you know, there's another thing for schools, right? I mean, obviously they need to do proper screening, which I believe most schools would be doing. But also a big piece that I think that has been very much lacking is accountability, right? So accountability among schools and organizations. If we know that someone um, sexually offended, we can't just, you know, say, well, that was a long time ago. He's not here anymore and he's moved on or whatever. We have to, schools need to say, no, we're laying charges. We're going to report this. We're, you know, we're going to deal with this with the authorities. Shut these people down. Don't just let them transfer to a different school or or a different child, right? So, yeah, and like we talked about before, even, you know, teachers, uh, you know, school uh, coaches, that kind of stuff, if they are getting a gut instinct about their fellow teacher or their fellow coach or something like that, gut instincts are the biggest tell. Like, sometimes your guts can tell you things that your brain can't comprehend, but 
we can't ignore those gut instincts. No matter how awful they might lead you to, you know, how awful it might be for the consequences of what you might discover, we can't ignore those. I'm so happy that mindfulness has gotten more attention in the schools as well as in homes, because to me, mindfulness helps you figure out more about your body. And when you're you're having that uncomfortable feeling and what is that about making you more aware. Now, Kelly, you keep on bringing up the term grooming. Would Mm -hmm. you just define what that means? Yeah. Well, grooming is the, is the process that an offender will use to, shall we say, prepare the victim. And it is a very deliberate set of acts that in and of itself are not illegal or harmful. In fact, they are designed to win the trust and affection of both the child and the child's family. So this is the deception process that they engage in. And this is also part of the process of what leaves little boys very confused and little girls, I'm sure, as well. Very confused in in regards to whether or not it was abuse because Offenders will typically establish a relationship of trust with the child, win their affection, and then, you know, down the road, it could be six months down the road, a year down the road, two years, three years down the road, depending on the type of offender, you know, then, then, they, will, then they will begin to engage in acts of, of sexual abuse, right? So it typically will start with, you know, the, the offender will, you know, fill a need, whether that's they become the coach or they become the after-school caregiver or they become the math tutor, whatever that is, they'll, they'll see the need and they'll figure out a way to fill that need. The need basically will allow them access to the child somehow. And then they'll, you know, they'll establish a relationship with the child, possibly with the family as well. And nothing bad will happen possibly for a long time. And they will do what they said they're going to do. They're helping the child with the math. They're helping them with the basketball. They're providing the rides. Everything's going well for a while. And then they will start to touch the child, usually sometimes in front of the parent first, which makes it a normalizing experience for the child because they think, well, dad says it's okay that uncle Bob, you know, touches me or wrestles with me or whatever. Right. So they start off with this wrestling or any sort of, you know, any sort of touch where, you know, where the touch gets normalized. And then eventually they will work to getting the child alone and start to ask them things like, what do you know about sex? Or they might leave pornographic magazines around. It could start off as, you know, adult pornography And then it will possibly go into child images of pornography, which, again, has this normalizing factor. It's designed to have a normalizing factor for the child. Then they'll do things like ask them, you know, teach them how to masturbate, that kind of thing. So, yeah, so that, you know, that kind of describes the grooming process. Uh, I do go into quite a detail in that in my book. That's one of the things I do talk about quite a bit in my book. And I certainly will put a link for your book in the description for this this episode. Thank you. And I find it interesting because I never was aware of this, but it's interesting that showing pornography to children is one of those ways. So it's not meant for children. The introduction of any sort of, shall I say, masculine principle that is a little bit above the child's maturity level. So they're going to teach that they're going to treat the child as if they're older than they are. You know, and that could be introducing them to alcohol or cigarettes or marijuana or pornography or driving a vehicle. First, you know, what they typically do is they'll test the child in a way like, for example, they'll let them drive a vehicle or something like that and say, but don't tell your dad, you know, like, because he doesn't think you're old enough, but I know you're old enough, right? So now they've got them bound in a secret that they can kind of use against them later saying, you know, hey, you know, if I tell my dad that this guy did this to me, I also have to tell him that it happened in the vehicle that I was driving, which I'm not old enough to drive kind of thing, you know? So they test them out to kind of get them kind of in that sort of, they test their loyalty, so to speak. Yeah. 
So this leads to another question of if a young person is listening right now who has been in a situation like this, has been abused, what do you have to say to them? Well, first off, I would say it's not your fault, right? Like offenders work really, really hard to get you in situations so that they can have access to you, right? Like uh, if you liked your offender, that's okay. It's okay to like people. Like I said before, offenders work really hard to try and confuse victims. In fact, that is usually the last thing that an offender will do is that they will, you know, try to make you think that whatever happened was consensual. So just because an offender tries to confuse you doesn't mean that it was okay. So if you've been abused, yes, find a trusted parent, a professional, an adult you can talk to. If they don't believe you or they don't support you properly, find another one. It is not your fault and and there is help out there. So Regarding specific resources for a child, do you know of any that a child can actually go to, whether they call or go to a website that you recommend? Well, I do. I do like that RAIN website, the R-A-I-N-N. It's the National Resources for Sexual Assault Survivors and Their Loved Ones. They have a they have a uh, 1-800 number that people can call. The 1-800-656-HOPE is, is like a live chat. So I think that's across America. So that's wonderful. I think that's probably one of the better places. Uh, there's also the cyber tip line, right? National center for missing and exploited children. Yep. And I've also heard of stop it now and actually victims and family members of a child for sexual abuse can call up. They have a hotline. It's hotline. The hotline is 888 prevent the word prevent P R E V E N T. And Kelly, thanks for bringing that up because there's also some resources on there for college students if they want information or resources. I love RAIN. I think they're just so powerful. And I have to add this in. As you said the word hope, we have uh, two dogs. The second dog that we had gotten a couple of years ago, we've been training her to be a therapy dog and her name is Hope. Nice. Because my wish is for her to work with children. And if there's a child in this situation that she could be, uh, she's a cuddly dog too, that she'd be perfect, that she can be uh, like a resource that a child can hold on to, to even just talk to a therapist or a, a police officer or something like that. So it's really neat. You brought up the word hope. Love it. So are there other resources that you recommend for adults well, you know, I mean, there's there are sexual assault centers across America, obviously, right? Uh, for men specifically, there's malesurvivor.org, and there's one in six, and those are great organizations that, you know, they have uh, one in six, I know, has like website where you can click on and find a therapist in your area that is, you know, informed about male survivor issues. So um, for, for men specifically, those are great resources. But then again, like I say, most sexual assault centers are are well aware that males are victims too. And um, obviously have been supporting women for a long, long time. So I always recommend go to your local resources. Great. And certainly if a caregiver, parent, child, they can also go to their school, the guidance counselors that are there, if they're available, the social workers, if you feel trusted there. Uh, Certainly if you go to one person and you feel like you're not heard, and I believe you understand this too, Kelly, that if a child goes to, let's say they go to a parent and they're like, well, 
so-and-so did this to me, sometimes a parent might not believe. So we recommend that you go to another person until your voice is heard. Yeah, absolutely. You know, Laura, that just reminds me of a story from last night. I had, it's Canada Day here yesterday, and I had my pastor and his wife and um, a couple of of pastors and their wives over for dinner last night. And um, my pastor was saying he was in a hockey game, at a hockey game uh, in his youth, and he witnessed um, Theo Fleury, who's a pro hockey player, as you probably know, in uh, the penalty box, and he was being heckled. And the way they were heckling him was saying, what's it like? to be Graham James's little cuddle toy or whatever. And it just blew my mind that, you know, that abuse was like, that's unfathomable, unfathomable to me that someone would heckle someone else about being sexually abused and not do something about it. Like, I mean, thank God times have changed. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm glad that more people have come forward. I mean, one positive that came out of that whole thing with the pen Penn University was that it put it on the table. This stuff happened. It was hidden for so long and people have a right to have their voices heard no matter how you identify. Everybody does. And even his son came forward and said, yeah, he sexually abused me too. Right. So that was Uh, me that took courage. It certainly did. Do you have any other thoughts or recommendations for our listeners? Um, just that, you know, status quo is not good enough. We all have to, you know, if we want to make a difference in society, we all have to become aware of grooming techniques, types of offenders, which, you know, I mentioned that earlier, like two types of offenders, if I may, would be like yes, situational or preferential. So a situational type of offender will offend against any child, male or female of any age, anytime they get a chance, whereas a preferential has got a specific age and sex that he prefers or works with, or she prefers and works with. I, w- I would say, so yes, we have to become aware of grooming techniques and types of offenders, the statistics, like we have to accept that these statistics are valid, that our children are being sexually abused and you, they might not come home and tell you about it right away, but 20 years later, they probably will. So uh, I just think in today's day and age, we have to become more aware. We have to talk about this in those conversations, we have to include the fact that boys and men have been abused too. It's not just about female victims, right? So we have to include boys and men in these conversations. I have to ask you, I'd be dealing with this topic and you're, if you're talking to your patients, your psychologist and all, what do you do to help cope with some of the stories? Like, what do you do for your own happiness and health, which might be some recommendations for caregivers or people that are victims themselves. What do you do when you're feeling overwhelmed or wow, blown away? Well, first off, I always try to keep in mind that I'm not the one abusing them, that this already happened and that I'm just helping them get over it. Right. So, um, you know, honestly, this, this might sound silly, but you know, when I was a police lady and if we ever got a confession from a suspect, there's, there'd be this moment where we'd seek, we might be holding the poker face on, uh, you know, outwardly, but inside we'd be going, yes, there's a goods. I got it. Right. I honestly kind of take that approach when I'm working with victims too, because I know that the pain is in there. I know that they're coming to me for a reason. So when we get to sort of the depth of the story, the depth of the pain, the depth of the horror of what might have happened inside. I'm also going, yes, I'm so glad you shared that. I'm so glad you feel safe enough to tell me that. And I remind myself, I'm not the one doing this. 
that's doing this to them. I didn't cause this. And I also remind myself that they get to go home without all that shame of feeling alone and a secret and stuff. So I really, in the process, I'm reminding myself that I am glad that they don't have to carry this burden alone. I'm glad that I can educate them about how, what happened to them. Oh, look at this. He groomed you. These were the stages he did. Look at this. Uh, this is why you liked him. Oh, it's okay that your body responded that way. God designed your body to respond to touch. It works perfectly, right? You don't have to be confused about your sexuality just because your body responded. Those kinds of things, right? So I really, really enjoy being able to help reduce the shame for men and then for myself I mean I like to take lots of holidays and I have friends that are psychologists and I like my time on my bike or my paddleboard or my kayak or with my pets or just on my deck sitting in the sun so yeah I do I don't work I try not to work too too many hours because I do need to practice good self-care too Mm -hmm. yes thank you Thank you for saying that because I know one class in particular that I teach at the university is for future elementary school educators or daycare workers. And they're, they get very emotional about this, like I do at times. And I love how you had said that you didn't create it and now you're going to help them heal because it's there's this burden that's being removed. And when I was originally trained for that program, the nickname was called BABES, the Beginning Awareness Basic Education Studies. They did this activity in the training where they had two people stand up and they put people's bags on them and had it get covered. And that if the two people, if they're really trying to be intimate, meaning not physically intimate, but just emotionally intimate, how can they when they have all this baggage around them? And then if we can start removing that baggage, it was a really cool visual like cut eye holes in it and ear holes in it and hand holes, right? So we could, yeah, love it. Yep. Yep. So I really appreciate what you're doing. I'm so grateful. I'm, it, it, this is a blessing talking to you, but in addition to all the people that you're helping that are listening here, but also your, your clients, your people that are there. Thank you for doing what you're doing. I, I would just say you're welcome, Laurie. And I mean, it's, it's an honor. It's a pleasure. I'm really glad that sort of I don't want to say I'm glad that I was so burdened about my own mistakes in the past, but I'm glad that I get this opportunity to, I, I mean, I can't, you can't write that, that one particular wrong in regards to that case, you know, the one I referred to about not investigating the boys, but you know, it's, it does feel good to be part of the, part of the change process. Right. So, yeah. yeah. Well, if people want to get in touch with you, how can they reach you? Kellypolfi.com is my website. Excellent. And I'll make sure that's also the link in our section today. And again, I thank you so much, Dr. Paul Fee, Kelly. I thank you so much for being here. And to our audience, I thank you for listening. Please, if you feel that you want to talk with someone, please go to rain.org, R-A-I-N-N. Look at their resource page. There are resources there listed. Please reach out to the National Sexual Assault Hotline, the National Sexual Violence Resource Center. There's the Stop It Now, Darkness to Light. If you don't know how to do that. You can even talk to a friend to help you go and, you know, like have a, a, a support person with you. Go to a, an adult that you actually, when you talk with them, you're feeling that there's relief and they're listening to you. So please do that. Take care of yourself. You are worth it. If this stuff happened to you, it is not your fault. And there's a reason for you to be on this planet. So, yeah, absolutely. 
Thank you so much for listening. Again, Kelly, thank you. And I hope everyone has a happy and healthy day. Thank you for listening to the Puberty Prof Podcast, where information and tools are shared to help you have conversations about puberty and other growing up topics. Did you enjoy this episode? Please like, share, and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. You can also follow the Puberty Prof on Twitter or Instagram. The Puberty Prof, Lori Reichel, wants to hear from you. Go to pubertyprof.com or click on the link in this episode's description. There you can find more information, as well as ask questions to be answered by the Puberty Prof in a future episode. That's pubertyprof.com. Also, remember to check out the Talk Puberty app and the book, Common Questions Children Ask About Puberty. Until next time, this is the Puberty Prof Podcast, where information and tools are shared to help you have conversations about puberty and other growing up topics.